How are you today? Thank you, worship team, for leading us. And now we prepare our hearts for the truth that God has in his word. Uh, Does anyone need sermon notes before we begin? Did you get those on the way in? Uh, Ushers, we got a few folk that need sermon notes. If you have a few more of those, just keep your hand up and we'll get you those. Great, great. Jace, did you have a question or you just need sermon notes? Good. I like it when you follow along. That's good. That's good. Excellent. Well, welcome back to our Mountaineering with the Master series. From the Beatitudes, uh, we found so far in Matthew 5, 3 through 9, that's where we'll kind of end up. That's where we've been for a couple of months. Uh, We've looked at what Jesus meant by being poor in spirit. What does that mean exactly? And those who mourn, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the peacemakers, and the pure in heart. And uh, I believe that Jesus saved the best Beatitude for last the best beatitude for last. Uh, I'm convinced this is uh, the hardest one to get our head around, this particular beatitude. It's difficult. Why is it so difficult to get our head around this particular beatitude? Well, I think it slams right into everything that we are so desperately investing our lives in, what we think we want, what we think we need what we're working so hard to obtain. And Jesus' teaching slam right into that because if we are doing life, working this hard and wanting and expecting uh, things like happiness and health and security and abundance and peace and comfort, Jesus is just going to blow all that up and he's going to blow all of it away because that's really not why we're here on this earth. And yet, here in 21st century America, this is where we spend the bulk of our time attempting to attain that which we want, that which we need, investing our lives through our hard work into that which we think will make our families uh, comfortable, secure, positioned for the future, able to weather any storm, and just happy. Wow, wow. Nothing wrong with those goals, in an essence, but those are the byproduct of a life lived for Jesus at least here in America at this time. (laughs) Okay? So let this sink in for just a moment. For those courageous enough to climb with the Master, and that's what we've been talking about, Jesus' climbing companions in Matthew 5, 1 and 2, he surrounded himself with his climbing companions, he sat down and he taught them. For those courageous enough to look at the first seven of the Beatitudes and to say, yes, I'm with you, Jesus. I want to be a part of this kingdom that you came to proclaim. The eighth becomes a promise, not one that we might like so much. The eighth is guaranteed. It's called persecution. And it's called persecution. So today we're back in Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Let's follow along as I read. God blesses those, or blessed are those, who are persecuted for doing right for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. For a great reward awaits you where? (laughs) Okay, in heaven. Uh, 
And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Now, last week, we looked at three times in this passage where that particular Greek word is used. Dioko is the verb form of the word. Three times in those verses. It means to aggressively chase, to zealously persecute, or hunt down. To hunt down. So, as it began to be used in more popular vernacular, it was used for harassment, abuse, and even torture in the day of Jesus. But if we put this into its broader context, this this promise, this guarantee of Jesus, that if you live out the first seven Beatitudes, the eighth is a guarantee, you will be persecuted. And so Paul, using the same word, would write the exact same thing, would he not? Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus will suffer persecution. The same thinking, the same word that Paul chooses to use. Everyone, who is everyone? You, 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 the person seated beside you, the person seated behind you and in front of you, everyone will suffer persecution. Now, here in this country, we know very, very little about this. Uh, And yet, as we'll see in a moment... Get ready, because persecution is a promise. Persecution is a promise. Count on it. Bank on it. It's coming. It's coming. And so, as we begin to think through this, persecution is a part of the normal Christian life. Persecution is a part of the normal Christian life. Now, I say that with an exception put in here. If you are in living in Midwest America in the 21st century, you are in a bubble of blessing of God. Because we know little about persecution. Very, very little about persecution. But that doesn't mean it's not coming, that it won't impact our lives at some point. And from the majority of human history, from the majority of the world, persecution is, has been, and always will be the normal Christian life. Do you understand how exceptional we have it in this country at this time? This is normal Christianity. We are not living in normal Christianity. We're riding this tide of grace, kind of playing and tinkering with it when it's convenient for most of us. But there's so much more here, so much more depth. I believe that persecution is one of the clearest confirmations, one of the clearest affirmations that our relationship with Jesus is real. The only way we can test the genuineness of our faith is through persecution, which we've not known, so we don't know if we have real faith. But I asked Jesus into my heart when I was six years old, well, good for you, good on you. Good on you. Good on you. It's a great beginning. It's a great start. But the Christian life is so much more than that. Following Jesus is so much more than that. And so he lays out his principles for what it means to live for the king. Is our relationship with God real? Let me say it like this. If we never experience rejection or ridicule or harassment because of our faith, we want to might just uh, take a little time Make sure our faith is the real deal. If we have never experienced those things, we might want to just back up and say, hmm, if really everyone who wants to live a godly life 
in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution is true, why aren't we persecuted? What will happen when we are persecuted? Every faithful Jesus follower will have times of resistance and ridicule from others. For many of the faithful, it's far worse than just ridicule or rejection. It's far worse. The important thing is not that persecution happens to us, but what happens in us when it does happen. Because if it is a promise, it is going to happen to us. So it's not a matter of whether a person happens to us, it's what happens in us when it does happen. So I'm saying, get ready, because it's coming. We are called to follow the example of the master who is described as a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief and suffering and persecution. And he says, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me on this persecution road. By the time Jesus spoke this powerful message we call the Sermon on the Mount, he'd already faced some really, really stiff opposition. This is really the unveiling of much of his public ministry. His his teaching is now gathering crowds and gaining momentum. But he's already under it. After healing this guy with a deformed hand, uh, we read in Mark 3, the Pharisees went away and met with a supporter of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Uh, We don't like you. And we want you gone. We are going to persecute you. We're going to hunt you down. And we're going to kill you. We're going to kill you. And that same mentality is permeating much of the world today. We're going to hunt down Christians. And we're going to kill you. We're going to kill you. We touched on this last week. So, as we think about this, Jesus makes it clear from the get-go that persecution was a part of the deal because we're connected to him. If we are going to follow him, it's going to be a part of the deal. Yet he taught that a response to all of it should be really out of this world. So what's back to our text? What is he talking about? Come on now. Let's all get happy and be glad because God blesses you when people mock or insult you. Now, I don't know when the last time you were mocked or insulted how you responded, <laughs> right? Anididzo is the Greek word. It literally means to show your teeth. You're going to get right up in somebody's grill, and the word meant to throw or shove abuse or destructive or sarcastic comments right up into someone's face. You ever have somebody do that to you? Just kind of mean spirit is coming, wham, here you go. <laughs> Make your day every time, won't it? Right? it's aggressive, it's attacking, it's, it's confrontational, right? And I think in some degree we've all had those things happen to us. Now, God blesses you when people lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you. Now, this is really the same but different. How is it different? These aren't things usually said to our face but whispered behind our back. So one is this confrontational up-in-your-face The other, the lying part, the deceptive part, is those things that are said, not to our face, but behind our back. Which do you like? Which would you prefer? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Frame this within the context of persecution. In our culture of freedom to say anything about anyone at any time on social media, it's devastating and it's destructive. 
It's said behind people's backs. It's tough to defend, harder to control. For me personally, for me personally, the nastiest things anyone has ever spoken about me came from the lips of those inside the church and said behind my back. That hurts. That hurts. Let me tell you a little story. Previous church. Now, it's happened here, but I'm going to my previous church just to make sure we're clearing all names, right? So we're in Bangkok, Thailand. Evangelical Church of Bangkok. Church is growing rapidly. God is meeting people in very profound ways. And with that always comes the enemy's assault, right? So suddenly, on the church radar, is this malicious bit of nastiness that my wife is a raging alcoholic and I'm having an affair with one of the staff members. Huh. It really didn't bother me all that much, but you know how buzz starts to buzz, right? So I had a wonderful team of leaders just as we do here, and uh, together we agreed, let's launch an investigation, an impartial investigation into these allegations. Not only let's find out whether they're true or not, let's find the source of it. And so this leadership team, even though these are high-powered business individuals living overseas in Bangkok as expats, uh, did their due diligence. I'm so proud of that leadership team. And they, first of all, said there's no validity to these rumors at all. It's a bunch of garbage. But the important thing is, where did it start? Where did this start? And they were doggedly determined to find out where these things came from. And you know where they started? Staff member. Now, in this church, we had a really large staff. A really large staff. And they were literally from all over the world. And so they wound it back, kept asking, where did you hear this? Where did you hear it from? They go to that person. They go to that person. They go to that person. They worked it back, and it came down to a staff member. Well, she was terminated very quickly. And this taught me an important lesson. You know what her job was in the church? She was the bookkeeper. And so when it comes to bookkeepers, (laughs) nah, Jessica does a great job. But, you know, for Cindy, that was particularly devastating for my wife. That was one more hit that she took. Why do we have to defend ourselves? Why is this coming? And all that was was some comments made in the office, just some little chitter-chatter, chitter-chatter, and all of a sudden it, it morphs into these things that were just thrown out there, kind of innocently, right? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Jesus said it was all his fault, and I like that. He takes all the blame for all of this. He said, it's because you're my followers. This kind of stuff is going to happen to you because you are my followers. He also said, it's because you're doing the right thing. If we're doing the right stuff, persecution, bring it on. It's going to happen. It's going to 
happened. It's the same thing Peter, who of course was a climbing companion of Jesus, who sat down with Jesus, who heard these words from Jesus. He saw it, he experienced it, and then he wrote about it at the end of his life. Here's what he said. If you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. He's saying the same thing that Jesus did. I wonder if he was reflecting back at that moment. If you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. Isn't that exactly what the master told him? Did Peter suffer persecution? (laughs) Sure did. Sure did. Sure did. Peter could have gone on to clarify. If you and I suffer because we make some dumb choices, that's on us. Don't call it persecution. Don't spiritualize this thing. It's not persecution. He just made some dumb choices or said some dumb things. That's why this is happening, right? Don't call it persecution. Not every difficulty or problem or bad thing we face fits into this category of persecution. Sometimes Christians are real good. It's, oh, I'm being persecuted by the enemy. You know, all this stuff. Oh, right, right. Sadly, sometimes we in the church bring persecution on ourselves. We shoot ourselves in the foot. And it happens over and over again. So right after the service... Uh, last week, Sydney comes up to me, and Sydney says, uh, "Can you clarify this? What am I supposed to do when this happens to me?" That was such a great question. I really appreciated that. I did. Sydney says, "You know what? I drive by Planned Parenthood and regularly, and I see them outside with signs. Most of them seem to be scowling when I drive by." And they have signs that say, repent of your sin. Repent of your sin. And I think about that, and I I understand what they're attempting to do. I just wonder if Jesus would have handled it that way. (laughs) No, he would not have. But what I imagine is, is them getting together after their time, holding their signs and scowling at people, getting together and saying, oh, hallelujah, brother. You know how many people flipped me off when they were driving by, rolled their window down, said, mm-hmm. roll their window down and yell, yeah, 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 yeah. but I'm not going to let this persecution stop me. No, no. We're going to be there tomorrow again, do the same thing, Right? And I'm wondering, what are we doing in the church with our judgmental, hypocritical, condemning, where's the love in all of this? What are we doing here? How are we going about this? Really, Jesus, is this what you wanted from us? You see, choosing to climb with the master will provide persecution, but check out what our response should be. This is where it gets really weird. When you're persecuted, what did he say should be our response? Be happy about it? Be very glad? What? Be happy about it. Be very glad. Now, the word used here, agaliao, means to skip and jump with excitement. Yahoo! So, in other words, do your happy dance, right? Go ahead. Do your happy dance. Woohoo! Right? So that's what this word entails. That's what this word entails. Now, understand this word that we're talking about here, be happy about, be very glad, is not a suggestion. In the original grammar, it's a command. 
It's a directive. Jesus is not suggesting that we be happy about it. He's commanding us to be happy about it, to be very glad. Now, some of us have been with persecuted believers around the world. And although they won't do that, they're doing it right in here. And the joy is absolutely contagious, penetrating, permeating. So if we think about this, if this is a command, if we're mopey, bummed out, stuck in our pity party because we might face some persecution, we're not getting it. We're not getting it. The world can press in. The world can take away. The world can get up in our face. But in Christ, our joy should be, can be, constant as long as we're attached to the vine. He is the source of our joy, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And the master says, come and follow me. While we're not thankful for the persecution. We're not thankful for the persecution. We're thankful in the persecution. Because we know that in the persecution is where we're going to find Jesus. In all of his power, in all of his peace, in all of his joy, are available to those being persecuted for doing what is right, for being his follower. Because he understands and he walked it first. And he's gone before us. And he knows exactly what we're feeling or going to experience. And yeah, yeah. And understand this, persecution always has a purpose, always. God is not arbitrarily doing this. Persecution always has a purpose. And if we look at the spread of the church through the book of Acts, it's persecution that caused the church to become the church. Because the church without persecution is lukewarm often, and flavorless, and powerless, and impotent. For the first followers of Jesus, persecution was expected and accepted. To declare yourself a Christian could mean losing your job, being disowned by your family. We've talked about this, or far worse. In the first century, it could be stoning, being covered in pitch to be used as a human torch, or by being wrapped in animal skins and literally thrown to ravenous dogs for sport. This is what first century Christians faced. Yet more Christians have died for their faith over the last hundred years than all of human history. Think about that. Global Strategic Alliance reports the persecuted church has become more, has more documented cases of martyrdom in the 20th century alone than in the previous 1900 years combined. More martyrs in the 20th century than in the previous 1,900 years combined. Now, Christian persecution around the world is one of the biggest human rights issues of this era. But in reality, it's a clash of kingdoms you're not going to hear much about on CNN or Fox News, I guarantee it. And what about all those martyrs? What's up with them? You know what they're doing? The Bible's very clear. Read Revelation chapter 6. And the fourth seal is opened. And once the lamb opens the seal, the martyrs are there under the altar. And they're saying, how long, O Lord, before you avenge our blood? And they're given white robes and they're told, wait a little longer because there's a whole bunch more coming. 
that might be you and it might be your grandkids because persecution is coming. It's coming. So we think about this. In the last year of record, 2018, each month, 345 Christians were killed, often in public without regard to gender or age. Makes no difference. 219 Christians are abducted and imprisoned and held indefinitely without trial. 180 women and girls are raped, sexually assaulted, or forced into marriage or sex slavery. 106 churches are raised, burned down, destroyed, demolished every single month. And these numbers are accelerating rapidly. Countless others are tortured, faced with job discrimination or forced conversion, murdered. Wow. Now, last week we talked about how to make this issue more than just some interesting facts on a Sunday morning that don't touch or transform our lives. I'm not interested in that because persecution must have a face. It must have a face. Persecution is not about numbers that are happening in other parts of the world. Persecution must have a face. And for those who have been to Thailand, we've taken you to some places where you've seen believers in cages simply because they follow Jesus their families living separate and isolated and in great fear, constantly kids not even being able to go outside, wondering where their next meal is going to come from, simply because they are doing right and they are following Jesus. You have seen them, and those faces stick in your brain. I get that. They're there. They are there. And next week, we're going to have another face of persecution. His name is Joshua, and he's coming to us from Calvin Seminary in Michigan. He is Chinese. He was a scientist. He's found out to be a Christian. And we're going to hear more about how they're doing this in China next week. Discovered he was set to a remote island. And you're going to hear him say, you know what I did? I shoveled animal poop. You're going to hear him say this. A brilliant scientist and here he is suffering for Jesus he's going to tell us about what suffering is like in China right now I hope you'll come back and hear him I believe he's going to have a profound impact on the reality of what's happening in our world today so that's next Sunday we're going to put another face on persecution I certainly have them in my mind Again, let me give you an illustration from Bangkok. Uh, I was approached and asked by a group if I would teach at seminary level uh, a group of pastors from Vietnam. Now, if you know anything about the persecution in Vietnam, it's horrific. Horrific. And so I said, yeah, I can set a week aside my schedule for that. So they literally smuggled 20 pastors out of Vietnam into Bangkok. They didn't want me to go to them because it might be risky. I'm thinking, are you crazy? You guys are coming in peril to your own life and your families are back there and you're worried about me going to you. At any rate, they came, smuggled in. Theological training. So I sat around the table and we talked through interpreters. Every single one of them, all 20, all 20 of them had been beaten and imprisoned and separated from their families because of their faith. And you know what that did to my heart? These guys came to hear me mumble a few theological things. The teacher became the student. These guys ripped my heart out. So 
joyous, so hungry to have more of Jesus. Just help train us. Help us. Help us. I could still see their faces. And so we put them up the next Sunday in all the services that we had. They, they sang these joyous songs in Vietnamese. And I knew they went back to be beaten again, to be thrown into prison all over again, simply because they love Jesus. I don't get that. I don't get that. They taught me more than I could ever, ever have imagined. But here in America, we live in a relatively protected and peaceful and tolerant post-Christian bubble. If you're counting on that bubble to hold, better get ready. Persecution is sporadic and isolated. We could mention things like student groups like InterVarsity kicked off college campuses across the country. Teacher in New Jersey was suspended for giving a student a Bible. Football coach in Washington was placed on leave for saying a prayer on the field after the game was over. Yeah, these things are happening. These things are happening. We see the signs that things are changing. The question is, what will we do? What will we do? Because that wave that has captured the majority of the world and we looked at those numbers last week. That wave is coming to America. Can you feel it? Can you sense it? That's happening. Now, what do we do? Well, for many, and of course it's nobody here at Southside, but for many, the way to avoid persecution, simply because you're a follower of Jesus, it's really easy to do. You want to avoid persecution? Here's what you do. Simply conform to the world. Blend right in. Go with the flow. Live and let live. Believe your own truth. Go along with the crowd. Keep your faith quiet. Don't make a move. Don't make a move. When in Rome, do as the Romans. And then you chuck out those verses that push against us, like 2 Corinthians six seventeen. Come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you, for great is their reward in heaven. What will we do? What will we do? Chameleon Christianity. Oh, I can be one way in church and I can be one way out there and nobody knows who I really am except Jesus. Persecution has a way of defining and refining. Persecution is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a promised thing. The promise to those who endure persecution is this. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. Now you say, I want my reward right now. I want a comfy life. I want prosperity. I want abundance. I want health. I want all these kinds of things. Jesus never said he was going to provide that. But what he does say is the kingdom of heaven is ours if we'll follow. Every follower is promised persecution. Every follower is promised Jesus' presence and power and comfort and strength through persecution. And we can do it. I'm just saying we've got to get ahead of the curve because it's coming. Others have gone before us and they have done it. They have done it. Look at what the writer of Hebrews said. Others were tortured. This is the first century. Others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. Oh, I love that refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. <laughs> they placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. 
Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. And others were killed with a sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. And this phrase, they were too good for this world. These aren't the high and the mighty. They are too good for this world. Wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. And many of our believers right now are experiencing this right now. These are our brothers and sisters. This is the family of God. Enduring this. Living it out. Understanding. The reward is in heaven. Theirs is the kingdom. Theirs is the kingdom. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. So I ask again, what will we do? What will we do? What will we do to prepare our children and our grandchildren? What will we do? What are our lives saying to them in this moment?